What's up, guys? Welcome into the EPL Lounge, brought to you by Top Sport. Joining me, though, once again for the season ahead is West Ham Fan Club's biggest villain, <laughs> Mr. Sergio Magliaraki. What's happening, Serge? How are you feeling about the new season? Uh, I feel really excited about it, Josh, and um, great to be back doing the podcast with you again. It's been a little while after last season's, should we say, COVID-disrupted year where things just kind of went to shit and <laughs> we didn't want anything to do with it. But, hey, we're back for a big one. Look, plenty to get through episode one where we'll, of course, cover match day one feature games. But before we dive into that, let's kick things off with a look at our season predictions. I think it's only fair. Uh, and let's start with, I think, the most straightforward prediction you can have. Serge, who's going to win the Premier League this season? And I think it's fair to say that the top four kind of picks itself, really. Uh, maybe Leicester can challenge again, but I just don't think that they will make enough of a jump on last season's efforts to keep pace with what is, for me anyway, the tightest top four in quite some time. Uh, but I'll give you the mic first, Serge. What is your thoughts on the season ahead and who's winning the title this season? Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think the um, the top four is set in stone. I don't see... Um, Leicester or any of the other contenders having quite enough to, to challenge the top four, given how good they are. Um, I'm going to disappoint you and be a little bit uh, predictable and just um, just go with Manchester City. Um, you know, I just think that um, the, the quality the team has, uh, you know, is just irrefutable. And what I think is really interesting about Manchester City now, um, as opposed to when Guardiola first took over the club, is that um, this is actually, you know, his vision for not just Manchester City, but for a football team. When he first took over, you know, he was working with the squad he inherited and yeah, you know, he produced um, fantastic things with them. But, you know, I think it, it doesn't get talked a lot about, uh, talked about a lot, but I actually think Guardiola oversaw a massive transition period at the club with all the big players um, from the early successes like your David Silvers, your Agueros, your companies um, retiring or moving on in that time. So I think we're finally seeing, you know, a football team precisely as Guardiola likes it. And I actually think that um, they're not at that final level yet. I think they've got another level to step up. And I think we're going to see it this season. That's, uh, that's a pretty big statement given, I guess, how dominant they were for large parts of last season, how dominant they were uh, the season they wanted, you know, prior to that, um, breaking records left, right and centre. But I think for City, I guess, like, the, the question obviously for, for this particular season is, you know, having now, I guess, overseeing, like you said, uh, seasons with the likes of David Silva, with Sergio Aguero, with Vincent Company, and a lot of these guys, natural leaders. I don't know if they necessarily have one in the current squad. Um, you know, for all the amazing football that they play, I, I do genuinely believe this season is going to be far tougher than anyone previous in terms of just how close that top four really is, in terms of talent on paper, at least. If things get a little tough, I mean, do you trust the backbone of this team to be able to pull through? That's a really good point. And I think we just have to go on the evidence of last season. Um, I think that I actually take your point that there's not one single player that we could look at and say, you know, they are going to carry this team when times get tough, you know, in the vein of, um, you know, Vincent Company. But I think that Guardiola's approach is really prioritizing uh, homegrown, or when I say homegrown, I don't mean Manchester grown, um, English grown, English talent. I really think he's put a priority. A lot of foreign managers will come in and um, they don't really pay attention to making sure that the core of the team is English. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you see it with the Grealish signing, you see it with the, the Sterling signing, you see the way he's sort of coached Foden. Um, I think he believes that, ensuring that the core of the team is English is is going to do something for the spirit of the team. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And look, I mean, City, obviously, the most logical choice, I think, to win the Premier League. They're firm favourites for a reason. I think they're probably too short a price, in my opinion, especially um, compared to the two teams closest to them in particular. 
uh, in Chelsea and Liverpool. I'm going to shock absolutely no one, but <laughs> I'm all in on Liverpool winning the title this season. Uh, and look, bear with me a little here because there's undoubtedly bias involved in my train of thought. Uh, but there's also some pretty valid reasoning, I think. And when you look at the odds, I don't think any team in any futures category presents more value than Liverpool to win. You can get them as high as $6.50 in some places. Um, and look, I'll start by saying this. The, the team is fully healthy. We have quite literally not been able to say that about Liverpool since their title-winning season. Uh, what I love about our position heading into the season is the fact that everyone is overlooking them and being distracted by big-name signings United have made or you know the Tuchel revolution at Chelsea or the usual City dominance under Pep. And that's not to say that those aren't viable, you know, contenders with rational reasoning for each uh, each of those teams either. I just think, you know, maybe the exception being United um, because I just don't see a world where Solskjaer is going to ever win a Premier League title as a manager. But look, in all honesty, if you pulled out those four names from a hat at random and said, this is the order the teams will finish at the end of the season, I probably wouldn't blink twice at whatever it was. Um, but that said... If you are choosing to ignore Liverpool as genuine contenders because of how they performed for three or four months last season when, you know, we were quite literally depleted to the point of having no first-team centre-backs available. Uh, And then, you know, from there, if you have proper hindsight and look at how they started the season, they were flying, sitting top, looking like the team to beat once again. Jordan Pickford basically started this domino effect that essentially stripped the team uh, of its core, forced them to work through things on a week-to-week basis during the busiest time of the season as well, where they simply just didn't have the personnel to keep pace until we got to the final couple months of the season and they found regularity in the personnel that they did have available, which, you know, was still minus the best defender in the world, one of the best on-field leaders in the world, in my opinion, um, you know, the rest of their true centre-back rotations as well, Joe Gomez and Joel Matip, they were minus, you know, their best goal-to-minutes players of the season in Diogo Jota as well. Even without all that, the simple fact that they had continuity for the final couple months meant that they put together, you know, the best run to close the season, winning eight during one of the final nine, finishing top of the form charts as well and basically sneaking into the top four where they really had no right to do so. And now, you know, you're not only adding all those figures back into the squad to start this campaign, they signed an absolute beast at the back in Konate uh, to form what, for me, is probably the best four-man centre-back rotation in the league. You add, I think, squad pieces, which we know are vital, I think, for any club wanting to compete on multiple fronts over a full season, like Oxlade-Chamberlain fit again. You've got Minamino back, looking very sharp in pre-season. We've got an absolute wonder kid, by the way, in Harvey Elliott. I just, I don't see how this team isn't as good as any other team in the league right now and how they aren't competing for major honours come the end of the season. And, you know, you sprinkle some personal bias on top of all that, and I think we win the league by (laughs) April. All right. Uh, Look, all the points you've made are completely valid, but um, allow me to play devil's advocate here. Um, You know, if we look at Klopp's uh, track record with, Borussia Dortmund you know he took that club to to the highest highs but he was never able to create a dynasty with them there was just this slow unraveling where the team got worse and worse and in the end you know he had to 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 step away um and and resign and he did so I think midway through the season announcing that he was going to you know leave at the end um but uh, you, you know the point I'm making is uh you know injuries aside could this be the beginning of an unraveling where Klopp is no longer able to get this team playing at that incredible intensity that he managed for two seasons? Yeah, uh, look, I, I've heard that argument many times, and I like it's. I'm not going to necessarily rule it out entirely, um, because especially when it comes to I think managers in particular, track records kind of tend to repeat themselves over time. Mourinho being the perfect example, yeah. right? Uh, I think, though, that the biggest differences are that Liverpool as a club and a squad are much bigger than Dortmund were at the time. Uh, And I think that 
the gap between this Liverpool squad and you know the defending champions in Man City is far less than what Dortmund versus Bayern Munich is in Germany, just because Munich has such a stranglehold on that league. Um, you know the yeah. financial power that they have and their ability to basically buy anyone and everyone under the sun puts them in a category of their own. Whereas I don't believe City are in a category of their own in England. I genuinely think uh, they're in the same tier as them. So again, you know, like it's going to come down, I think, to squads. And when you look at squads, I like ours a lot. Chelsea scare the shit out of me. I'll be perfectly honest. That squad scares the shit out of me. I think it, they are so deep in basically every single position. Um, you know, rumours that they're adding Lukaku to, to basically, I guess, add the icing on the cake, so to speak, of what is such a strong, strong core and fundamental group. Um, you know, Tuchel's a fantastic manager as well. So the top three, let's say, I'll take United out of the equation just because, I, like I said, I, I still have zero faith in Solskjaer. I think they signed astutely. Like the mm. Sancho signing just fits what they're trying to do brilliantly. Um, the Varane signing is just something that they've been crying out for basically these past couple of seasons and hopefully gives them now a stable centre-back pairing going forward. Uh, but again, I just think that there's too much, too many limitations in Solskjaer's ability to coach that probably won't allow them to to lift a Premier League trophy so long as he's at the helm. Um, but the other three, all three of those managers, I think, are capable of, of putting together, you know, a week-to-week repertoire that, that that can see their teams go on really scary runs, I think, for significant periods of time and, and accumulate a lot of points in a hurry um, where there's just not going to be much margin for error this year, especially at the top of the table. And that, that's another point that I think is really fascinating. You look at the top four clubs and uh, the stakes are really, really high for all of them. None of them can yeah. afford to take a step back. Like Solskjaer, you know, he's grown with the club. They've given him a really good opportunity to build a team. He finished second last season. They're going to be expecting him to challenge for the title this season. Like they can't afford to take a step back, especially with the signings they've made. Liverpool can't afford to have a worse season than they did uh, last year, Man City, the expectations are always sky high, so nothing has really changed there. But, you know, I, I really think that, um, yeah, it, it's it's do or die for, for the yeah. top four this season. Yeah. An interesting one on United, before we move on, if they take somewhat of a backward step in that they finish fourth, is that the end of Solskjaer's tenure at the club? I think so. I mean, yeah. it's been three seasons. He's had three three seasons yeah. now yeah. at the club. Um, and, you know, you, you look at his predecessors, they didn't get that much time. Um, and a lot of them didn't do that much uh, that much worse, really. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mourinho got a second-place finish there. Um, some of them were, were, like, disastrous, like Moyes. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, I think that post-Ferguson, I think they do want to build something long-term and they do see Solskjaer as as the man. But I think they've shown that post-Ferguson, they can still be ruthless with yeah. their appointments. So and this yeah. is this is it for him if he finishes fourth. Yeah. Fifth, definitely, I, he's gone. But. Oh, yeah, if, if they don't finish the top four, he's absolutely gone, given the spend that they've had this summer and the way that the projection, I guess, of the club over the last couple of years while he's been there, they absolutely cannot afford to miss out on that top four at all. Um, let's look at Unless the other end of the table, Ringo. Unless what, sorry? I was just going to say, like, obviously, can if they win silverware, it's a different story. I think if they get the FA Cup but they finish fourth, I think he stays. I think that they really want a trophy as well. But, um, sorry, go on. Yeah, I could see <laughs> a world where that happens as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, look, other end of the table, though. Let's talk relegation quick. Uh, you know, it's always interesting, I think, to follow this particular storyline throughout the season, especially as the season goes on. It gets very exciting. But I'll start this one off because I think I've tipped this to happen for the last two seasons now. Um, but this is the one, Serge. This is the year Newcastle are gone. And, look, if you want to talk about a club that lacks ambition, this is it. And I genuinely feel for the fans because 
not only are you run by this greedy, self-absorbed idiot in Mike Ashley, you're also being managed by like this negative, outdated Steve Bruce who, you know, for me is probably the worst manager in the Premier League, I think. Uh, you look at the summer that they've had, no new signings as yet. Um, you know, they overachieved last season per their expected goals and expected goals allowed by a pretty decent way. So if we see regression to the mean from them in those areas, this is a team that's going to be fighting relegation. And so long as Steve Bruce is in charge, uh, and I say that because you look at the team on paper, particularly the front four, it's actually quite good. Callum Wilson, St. Maximan, uh, mm-hmm. Al Moran, Ryan Fraser, all frighteningly quick, all very direct, um, all very good going forward. But, you know, they don't create nearly enough. Um, they're hindered not only, I think, by the managerial inadequacies, but by the limited pieces behind them as well. Um, so it's just a really unbalanced squad. Look, for me, that's my pick as a relegate, relegation-threatened club, let's say that much. But um, aside from, you know, the newly promoted clubs who always have a tougher time, I think, just because of the financial restrictions, um, that for me, I guess, is if you want to call it a hot take, like I said, I've tipped it for the last two years. It's not really that much of a hot take. I'm just going to keep throwing mud until it sticks with them. But <laughs> so what are your thoughts, Newcastle and otherwise? Who's getting relegated from the Premier League this year? Yeah, so it's an interesting one with Newcastle because I, I completely agree with you um, on Steve Bruce. Like, I just think he's he's a dinosaur of the game. He's sort of like of the era where every team played four four two, and you know I see him as you know if not the worst manager, let's say the manager with the least imagination in the league. Yeah. Like you know things have evolved, and he has not evolved with them. Um, yeah. And I but. Again, I, I look at the quality that the team has, and I think they've got the quality to maybe um, avoid the drop. Uh, but I, I think time will tell. Uh, for me, I'm going to go with uh, Brighton to go down. Really? You know, they've been in the Premier League, yeah, five years now, and they've always been that club that has just sort of hung in there. Yeah. And yeah. typically, you can only do that for so long. You can only tread yeah. water for so long. And I think. You know, they've never really shown that ambition to push beyond where they are. It's like they're content to just survive every season. And you know, you can be just you can be content to survive the first season you come up, maybe the next season after that. But at some mm. point, if you don't make an attempt to 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 push yourself up the table, I think you inevitably drop back down. And um yeah, I just don't see you know, they're really lacking uh, a, a prolific number nine. Oh, yeah. um, they have made a, a, a few signings, I, I think, to, to try and create more opportunities. But at the end of the day, you need that that guy to, to put the, the ball in the back of the net. And as we see, you know, teams trying to attack. And, you know, perfect example, I think, being uh, Leeds United coming up. But, you know, the teams looking to attack tend to have a better time than the teams that are quite content to defend and unwilling to address their, um, you know, their problems up front. And, you know, that was different maybe not 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, where teams would come up and typically try to to, to shut up shop and weren't too yeah. concerned with where the goals were going to come from. But, you know, again, it's it's a different game. Uh, I'm going to tip Brighton to go down. And on the topic of the promoted clubs, I actually like all of them in in, in their own way. Um, to, to stay up as well? Yeah, well, it's very rare that all three <laughs> will, will stay up. Yeah. But, you know, since we're making bold predictions, why not? I'm going to go for it. Like, you've got two clubs that have yo-yoed, which is very yeah. um, uh, very uncommon for clubs to go down and, and come back up because, you know, usually they go down, they have financial problems, their best players get sold, and there's a lot of um, chaos to contend with. But, you know, you've got Watford and the Canaries that have gone down. They've managed to come right back up. You know, the squads look fairly similar. You know, yeah. a lot of the... The, the key players are still there. Um, so you've got, particularly the Canaries, when they came up last time, there wasn't much Premier League experience in that team. But a lot of these guys now, they they have it. Uh, mm. Plus, you know, I love the way they play. Uh, I have a soft spot for Watford because, you know, I love um, I love Troy Deeney. I love that big, old-fashioned, traditional English centre forward. So I'm looking forward to see him um, back in action, you know, talisman of that team. And Brentford's just a uh, really, really interesting club that I, I've yeah. been following and you know I've been watching um interviews with their uh manager Thomas Frank and I've never seen a calmer guy I have to, I have to tell you like 
Um, and I think that that is going to um, carry through to the team and the way they play. Like I see this team playing with no pressure on their shoulders whatsoever. You, yeah. You're going to see another fearless team coming into the Premier League this season, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I like Brentford a lot as well. I love their manager, like you said. I, I just like the way the club's structured. I think Norwich will will stay up this time around. Like you said, the continuity, the experience they gained the first time around, and then the fact that they were able to keep um, so many key players, as well as the manager as well, which is another big factor, um, bodes really, really well for them. Jury's still out on Watford. I'm not a Troy Deeney fan, so I can't say I'm necessarily <laughs> sold uh, on on them or, or them staying up. The Brighton one, though, real quick, I find interesting. Like, I couldn't agree more with you in that they desperately need just an out-and-out goal scorer and a classic number nine. Um, but I like them. I, I really like what Graham Potter's done, and he's proven me wrong in a massive way over the last couple of seasons. Um, they do try to play decent football and they do create chances they just they don't finish them is the issue uh and if you look back at last season if you look at their expected goals it's far higher than what they actually scored and if they can actually turn those clear-cut chances into goals which again requires having a reliable number nine that's going to put it in the back of the net uh then you know they they might surprise a few people this season, but yeah, I, I know what you're saying because it's it's a situation where if if they start the season in the same sort of manner where they're wasteful in front of goal and things are going eerily, you know, you can call it bad luck or whatever it might be in those first couple months, it becomes very hard to pull yourself out of that rut. Um, it, it's it's got to be frazzling for the nerves every season to be like 16th, 17th and just avoiding yeah. relegation. Like every season they're getting 36, 38, 40, I think 41 points maybe was the most. Uh, Eric yeah. off could, could be wrong on that, but they're always there or thereabouts. So they've always got that fear hanging over their heads. And I, I just think that it's got to, um, it's just got to add up over time. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You're not wrong. Um, I hope they stay up. But like I said, I just I kind of like Graham Potter, mainly because he's just proven me wrong so much. Um, so fair play to him and to the club. But yeah, Newcastle are gone. Uh, book it now. They'll be they'll be 18th around Christmas and then just spiral from there. Their best hope is that they start off really badly early on. That they sack Steve Bruce within the first couple months. <laughs> that is their best hope to avoid relegation, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, let's go and look at match day one, though, because there's a lot of games to get through. We'll just touch on the feature ones. We won't go into too much detail on the other ones. Um, and then I'll give our, our punt school best bet as well at the end for everyone. Thanks to Top Sport. But, Serge, kicking things off on Friday night over in the UK. Nice Saturday morning kickoff to kickstart the weekend for us over this side of the world. Brentford, Arsenal, an interesting one. Um Sorry, I've labelled this the wrong way around for people watching live. But look, Arteta's side, I had this conversation with you sort of earlier in the week. I just, I have no idea what to make of them. I think they're still a long way off challenging the top four. Um, Coming into this season, look, the one thing I will say about them last season under Arteta, they had a real structure about them defensively. but the issue with the team for the majority of last season and one that I can see sort of plaguing them again this season is that they have this ability to control the majority of most games that they play, um, but they just have an absolute inability to capitalise on that dominance. And then you couple it with, you know, a susceptibly leaky defence at the other end of the field and it's such a horrible mix and I don't think that they've done enough to sort of negate those issues. Apparently, Tammy Abraham's a near-done deal to come in and lead the line because Abamyang's going to be stuck on the left wing for another season. Um, Lacazette's drop-off is just painful to watch. But I just I don't think a signing like that changes much for them. Um, what are your thoughts on Arsenal in general, I guess, and this game to kick off the season? Yeah, so I, I think we need to be... and I don't want to trigger any Arsenal supporters that are watching the stream, but I think we need to be honest about where Arsenal are as as a club right now. Like, this is no longer a club or a squad that's in transition. 
this is a, a team that has taken a step back, yeah. uh, in my opinion. And if they don't do something now, you know, they're just going to slip further and further back. You know, you can't even see this team finishing in the top four. And again, you, you look back not so long ago when Arsene Wenger, uh, the least popular man in the world at the time, that when he was manager of Arsenal, uh, the fans were banging for his head. They were not content yeah. with finishing in the top four. And now look at them. You can't even imagine them getting into the top four. Um, and it's, I mean, look, at, I'd, as a club, I'd be curious. I'd be curious. How many Arsenal fans do you reckon right now would willingly put their hand up and take Wenger back if the opportunity arose? I honestly think most wouldn't. Um, just out of stubbornness? Out of stubbornness. There was just something about yeah. him. I've never seen, I don't know, I don't want to say I've never seen, but in terms of the success that he had achieved, yeah. winning the league, easily finished top four, I've never seen a manager that was that successful get that much vitriol from the fans. Yeah. I mean, we used to watch Arsenal TV just as <laughs> yeah. the going off at Wenger. And it was just so irrational and so fueled with rage. Yeah. It was it was hilarious. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, the club was better off with Wenger, I think. And um hundred percent. I can't like I really like Mikel Arteta. I think he's got some good ideas. Uh, I liked him as a player as well, but I don't see him taking Arsenal to the level where the fans want. And, you know, on the but current budget, sorry, go on. The, no, I was just going to say at the same time, it's like I, I don't. there's only so much that can fall on his shoulders because it's a poor squad. It's, it's not a well-constructed squad, like plain and simple. It's a squad that you look at and you say they belong in mid-table. So the, th the thing about Arsenal is that historically they've never, ever been big spenders when you compare them against the, especially since foreign money yeah. started coming into the league and, you know, you've got your Chelsea's and your Man City's, but even prior to that, they were never competing with Man United. When Leeds, um, you know, were a force in the Premier League, they were outspending Arsenal easily. They made their money by, you know, really shrewd, uh, investments like, you know, Anelka was half a million at the time. Um, Vieira was cut price. Uh, Henri was, he was a little bit more expensive, but still, you know, they've never had a reputation as a, a really, really big spending club. And I think a lot of the fans lost sight of that fact. Like they believe that they were this champion, this champion club. But the reality is that you know, when you go two decades without spending on the same level as your rivals, you're going to be a smaller club than them. And it was a miracle that they kept up with the big clubs as long as they did. Yeah. So um, I, I, I agree with you. I, I think the squad is not of the quality to be challenging for the top four. And I don't think it's necessarily Arteta's fault. I think it's the the lack of investment. But, you know, I think that, again, that, that has always been the case at Arsenal. Um in terms of uh, the game itself, I expect a similar opener to uh, Leeds versus Liverpool last season. Really? To be honest. Okay. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, like I said earlier about Brentford, I think they're going to be fearless. I think they're going to yeah. go for it. I think that will open up the game naturally. You know, I don't think like Arsenal are going to sit on the back foot against, you know, a newly promoted side. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm expecting goals. I look for this one. I mean, for our our pun school projections, we don't offer anything for fixtures with newly promoted clubs to start the season, just because the data doesn't correlate. So it's going to be a pass for us in the game. But my stance here is, I just think I can see a one all, um, because, like you said, I do agree that I think Brentford are just going to come in, you know, with nothing to lose. I know it's such a cliche thing to say for these new newer clubs, especially on match day one, but. In a fixture like this, they absolutely have nothing to lose. There's zero expectation on them. The pressure is entirely on Arsenal to start on the front foot. The only reason I don't see going goals galore in the same path as, say, the Liverpool leads is just because I still think that Arsenal are well-structured defensively and without the ball, that they're, they'll do a good enough job to sort of limit the space available for Brentford. Um, I think that they'll control the majority of the game in possession without necessarily creating too much so you know the best form of defense is attack and it's to keep the ball and to try and you know 
frustrate Brentford as much as possible. I, I believe that they'll create enough to score. I just I don't trust that defense at all, and I think. Uh, yeah, I think they will get they'll, they'll get stung and they'll get caught out at some point as well. So for me, if I had to pick something, I'd go one. I'd, I'd go a one-all draw in this game, personally. Um, but yeah, you're, you're saying goals galore. Do you think Arsenal win in a goal, in a shootout? Yes, I think Arsenal will win. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think there's just too much quality there. But I think we're going to see a very uh, spirited performance from Brentford. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, let's go to the big one, though. It is the big one of the weekend. Let's just call it what it is. Uh, game of the round, the one you've been waiting for, my friend. So I will let you kick things off here as Leeds head to Old Trafford. Are we going to see some Bielsa magic on opening day, Serge? 110%. Look, I, I, think, I think now is the time to come clean. I am a Leeds supporter. Uh, I've been supporting Leeds since the Tony Yeboah days, so since 1995. Um, I've been waiting, you know, I waited 16 years for them to come back to the top flight. I think our first season back was absolutely phenomenal. I couldn't have asked for anything more from a season. I think it's the best, um, it was the best transfer window that Leeds have ever had, at least in the time that I've been a fan of the club. I think we did tremendous business. Um, We demonstrated last season that um, we were capable of, uh, slaying giants you know we beat man city we beat spurs i think again going back to that opening game against liverpool we put on a hell of a show that game uh you know look at the fact we scored 62 goals last season which is actually more than uh what chelsea scored you know your champions league winners so the goals are there i'm not going to say that we've got the tightest defense uh, in the league, and I, I wouldn't tip us to keep a clean sheet in this fixture. But, you know, I think that, um, you know, we're making some waves in the transfer market again. Bielsa has demonstrated that he's extremely astute in the transfer market. So I have faith that, you know, these these guys are going to um, come through, that they're going to be gelled properly. Uh, you know, what I'm really excited about this season is... Uh, Rodrigo playing a full season, fully fit. You know, if he yeah. if he does manage to stay fit, I think he's going to bring the best out of Bamford. I think that partnership is going to be um, electrifying if they can both stay fit. So yeah, look, look. I, I, again, I am biased, so you can take it with a grain of salt. But hey, you're allowed to be. I, I think I think Leeds are going to slay United in this opening game. I look. I think this absolutely has potential for opening day fireworks, um, by and large, because Leeds will not be scared to push matters. But I think it, that in turn could play into United's hands, given their willingness to play on the counter, get in behind, regardless of who Solskjaer, I think, opts to go with in that starting eleven. I don't want to bring up sort of bad memories, but you look at last season's corresponding fixture, I think it was a perfect example of all that as well, where United finished that game with... possession at home, had a worse passing accuracy in that game, and yet they ran out 6-2 winners (laughs) Uh, in a game where they finished as well with a plus 3.15 expected goal advantage. So, look, for me, actually for you, do you think Bielsa's going to be wary of playing into United's hands based on how that fixture played out? Or are we just going to see that gung-ho approach again, uh, especially going forward, that made you know one of the best sides to watch last season? And at the end of the day, that's just also their DNA and how they play. Uh, to answer your question, no, and for two reasons. Uh, first reason is I think, you know, Bielsa is the sort of manager who's going to live by his sword. He's going to die by it too. So I think he's going to go out there. He's going to play football the way he knows how to play football. He's going to set his team up to attack and to score goals. I don't see him changing that. And the second reason is, you know, I don't know if um, if our viewers realise, but even though geographically it's not a derby, Man United versus Leeds is is a derby fixture. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they absolutely loathe each other. And I know Man United supporters will probably say that they don't see Leeds as rivals, but I guarantee you, you ask any real Leeds supporter which team they want to beat most, it's Man United. It, it, it always has been. So yeah, this is a this is there's a derby psychology behind this fixture. So yeah. I think we're going to see Leeds really, really, really fired up. And yes, it it backfired last season. 
Uh, and I'm not going to say that it can't go that way again, but you know, derbies are unpredictable. Anything yeah. can happen. So um, I just think this is, you know, one of those fixtures where we can see something um, out of the ordinary. Yeah. Like I said, I think it absolutely has potential for fireworks. Um, our model, for those of you watching, you can see in brackets there with the projected scoreline, has Man U running out winners 2.41 to 1.42. Gives us a good market edge on the over three goals here as well. So I think it's fair to say that's probably the best bet you can make in this game. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I love I love goals in this game. I think it's pretty obvious. Yeah. Yeah, almost too obvious, I think. But let's go with it either way. I'll be locking that one in for certain. Let's move ahead, though. Chelsea taking on Crystal Palace. They kick off their campaign with a home fixture here against a team who'll be without their manager at the helm. Roy Hodgson's finally gone. That's just weird, um, to say the least. That said, look, I think this is pretty much as straightforward as it gets for Chelsea to start the season. Um, they'll have that UEFA Super Cup fixture against Villarreal, which is to be played between now and the season opener as well. But look, it's hard to, I think, look past anything other than a pretty convincing Chelsea win, right? Yeah, I, I agree with you. And uh, I, I'm actually a massive fan of Patrick Vieira, both as a player uh, and a football mind. So, you know, I, I think he's going to do... Uh, I, I'd like to see him do really good things with Palace this season. Um, but at the same time, look, we have to be realistic. This is a team in transition. There's a lot of players um, going out and coming in. Yeah. And, uh, you, you know, this is... the baptism of fire for the new season for Palace. This is not the fixture you want on day one. And um, I expect to see Chelsea coming out comfortable winners in this one. Yeah. Yeah. I have them comfortable winners as well. Um, it's always hard as well to kind of project um, how these teams start under new management, um, especially when it's, when it's, you know, a completely new tenure. We've had someone like Roy Hodgson in charge for so many years at the club. You just knew what to expect from them season after season. Um, you know, their style of play was just ingrained in the players' minds. And now it's, you know, an entirely different system and you're looking at an entirely different uh, manager altogether and a different mindset that probably goes with that. So you just don't know what to expect. It could literally be rocks and diamonds in these sort of situations. You know, Palace can come out, shock everyone, you know, play an attractive brand of football, cause all sorts of problems, or it just goes to absolute shit because they just don't have the personnel to necessarily match what the manager's trying to do. And, you know, they they go out, get absolutely blasted, and it's hard, I guess, then to pick up and, and go from there. And, look, if we're talking about history repeating itself, what happened the last time Chelsea had a manager coming in late in the season and winning the Champions League out of nowhere? <laughs> Robbie Di Matteo, he had a... a, a you know, he won the Champions League and then the team just um, yeah. discombobulated after that, you know. <laughs> so um, if history is going to repeat itself, maybe uh, uh, Tuchel is not the, the manager we thought that he was going to be. But, you know, I expect very different circumstances. Yeah. Food for thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, look, as you can see, for those watching again, the model has Chelsea winning pretty comfortably. Projected scoreline being 2.18 to 0.73. I'm not going to get involved in it, but if you had to make me pick a scoreline here, 2-0, 3-0 Chelsea seems to make sense at Stamford Bridge for me. Yeah, I'll, I'll go 3-0. 3-1. 3-1 yeah, Palace on the score sheet. 3-1 for me, yeah. Fair. I won't argue that one. Um, Compilation goal. Let's go to another interesting fixture, though. Leicester, Wolves. Um, we'll power through these late ones, I guess, before we need to sign off, but... For me, you know, another example as well of a, a team new manager trying to, I guess, establish a new identity for his team. Um, I don't know anything, if I'm being perfectly honest, about Bruno Lage or what to expect from him at Wolves. Uh, we do know, I guess, what to expect from Leicester. I think they'll again be just outside that top four. Like I said earlier, I just don't believe that they can take enough of a jump to really push their way in there. Um, but they'll be lurking there or thereabouts for pretty much the entire season. I do think Brendan Rodgers is a fantastic domestic manager, like everywhere he's coached. Um, Swansea, Liverpool, Celtic, Leicester. When it comes to domestically, 
performing, he does fantastically well. When it comes to taking those teams to Europe, he absolutely falls flat on his face in the ugliest manner possible. Um, but for me, probably a comfortable win, I think, to start things off for them. Uh, the model has them 1.71, Wolves 0.97. I can see like a 2-0 Leicester win here for sure. They'll definitely be confident uh, after that Community Shield win over the weekend, that's for sure. Um, but for me, like I said, I, I just don't know what to expect from Wolves and I don't know what to expect from a lot of these teams bringing in new managers. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting that they've decided to go for uh, Portuguese continuity with Bruno Lage. <laughs> I, I do know um, that you know he has a reputation for really uh, uh, attacking, free-flowing football yeah. and never taking the foot off the pedal. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does with this Wolves team. On the topic of Leicester, I just think, you know, this this club, I, I, part of me would love to be a Leicester fan. I don't know how these owners are doing it, from Ranieri to, you know, winning the league out of nowhere, coming up from relegation to yeah. Rogers, really uh, doing an incredible job with this club and the players yeah. that they've signed and, and developed. You know, this is a great time to be a, a Leicester fan and they've still got that underdog tag despite the fact that they've won a league fairly recently and that they almost qualified for the Champions League again under Rodgers. I'm going to tip them to to win this game and, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll back up the, uh, the XG on this one. Yeah, I think it's pretty much going to be around about that scoreline as well. I, I, like I said, if, you had to, if I had to pick a scoreline, I'd say 2-0 Leicester for me. Um, They'll just be too clinical, and I think that they'll just control the majority of the game. Uh, I mean, I'm interested to see how Wolves sort of come together to start the season. Um, if you know, if what you're saying is what they plan on doing from day dot and essentially chancing their arm and just taking the game to teams, uh, it'll certainly make for interesting viewing. That's for certain. Um, but it can take time as well for for these things to sort of come to fruition, um, especially for a club like that as well, where you know, they're not necessarily boasting enormous talent. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, and again, I think, you know, we're yet to see what his approach is going to be at Wolves. You know, this is the reputation that he's built with clubs like yeah. uh, Benfica, if I'm not mistaken, where, you know, bigger clubs where he's been able to play a different way. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see whether he, he changes up his style or whether he, you know, he believes he can um, continue on. Yeah. Uh, let's go to uh, Norwich, Liverpool. Then this one, no projected scoreline here. Like I said, for the newly projected, uh, newly promoted teams, we just don't have the right data available there. But Serge, is there going to be anything other than a Liverpool win here on opening day, or do you need me to just go on another little two-minute rant on my own? I, I need you to go on another two-minute rant. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll be brief with this one. Uh, I don't expect any surprises. Look, I, I, I I'll say one thing is that Norwich at home in front of those fans is a tough out. And it was a tough out when they were in the Premier League last time. Um, they beat Man City here, I believe. Uh, they had quite a few scalps on their home home turf. Um, the place will be rocking, you know, with fans there again. Liverpool struggled here last time they came here as well. They're very fortunate to escape with a win. Um, but... You know, for those that were tuned into my bullish opening on why Liverpool are going to win the league, it's pretty hard for me to give reasons as to why they're not going to walk away with three points in this one. Um, I think that just the disparity in talent between the two teams will come to the fore. I love how Liverpool have looked in preseason. I normally don't put a whole lot of emphasis into preseason for teams, um, but I, I I find it more important when looking at teams who have key players returning off of lengthy layoffs. Um, obviously, Van Dyke, one of those. Joe Gomez, another one of those. Uh, they both look very sharp. I don't know if either of them will start match day one, though. Uh, maybe they do get eased into action a little bit, and we go with Kanate at the back with Matip, who's also back from a lengthy layoff, but obviously his injury um, sort of lesser extent than the other two. But for me, like I said, I think this is going to be pretty comfortable. If I had to put a scoreline to it, I'd say I'll give Norwich a goal. I'll say 3-1 Liverpool. Yeah, and I, I do agree that Norwich is going to be one of the teams that is going to benefit from having fans back. 
Um, and if I can just throw it out there, I think another team that's really going to benefit from having fans back is uh, is Leeds. Uh, you know, I think Ellen Road's going to be pumping. Yeah, yeah, I can see that for certain. Let's go to the final fixture though before we sign off today's show. Tottenham Man City uh, final game as well for match day one. This one, there's a lot to unpack in this game, really. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I'll let you go first uh, on why you think City will win this one, no doubt. But like I said, a lot of interesting talking points. The Tottenham situation is just strange. The Harry Kane situation is strange. Is he even going to play? Uh, you know, the new manager says yes. What are your thoughts on that and how this one's going to unfold? Uh, so just to be clear, the latest on Harry Kane is he's still a Tottenham player. <laughs> Yes. Any nothing is okay. Nothing has changed since. Uh, have they completed the signing of the Latura Martinez? No, the replacement. I think it is the guy that was coming in to play alongside Kane. Yes. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're still trying to uh, make some sense of the story. So I, I think I think it's fair to say that what what happens with that little situation is going to affect the outcome of this game in a major way. Um, yeah. Obviously, Kane. Uh, starting for City would be a massive boost for them and a huge loss for Spurs. Um, you know, I've, I've spoken about why I think we're going to see a really special season from City and why I think they'll be champions again. I, I won't um, discuss that too much. So uh, in terms of Tottenham, um, much in the same way as, as Arsenal, I think this is a team... And no longer in transition, I think they've actually taken a step back, especially if they lose Kane. And, you know, I thought the, you know, I'm on record saying that the Mourinho transfer was an absolutely terrible decision. You know, real short-term thinking, a manager that is sort of like losing his magic as, as the seasons go on. And like with every club, it's just, you know, the way he, his man management um, the tactics, everything is becoming outdated with Mourinho. So I really dislike that as an appointment. I think even though uh, Nuno Espirito Santo is a different style of manager to Pochettino, I think the thinking behind it is actually the same. They've they've plucked a successful manager from a lower a lower club that you know knows the league and has managed to you know do quite a good job with limited resources. Yeah. So. I think they've gone back to the the Pochettino model for bringing on a manager. I don't think he's as good. I don't think he's going to see the same success. Uh, you know, Pochettino really did overachieve. Um, and I think that was to Tottenham's detriment as well, is just how much he overachieved. Is It sort of masked the inefficiencies of the squad um, and then it instilled this false belief that after he left that they'd be just fine. Yeah, ab absolutely. And you sort of wonder, you know, like Son, fantastic player. How reliant was he on playing off Kane, in your opinion? Like, is he going to be as good? Like, is he going to come into his own next season if yeah. Kane goes? Or is he going to is he going to struggle? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Really good question. Um, and in terms of this fixture, I mean, you can see the model projection there. Tottenham 1.16, Man City 1.18. I, I don't actually think it'll be that close if I'm going to throw personal opinion on top of data here. I think City are going to absolutely boss this game from start to finish and do it pretty comfortably in the end. Yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to agree with you. I think, you know, you're looking at the London clubs in particular, Tottenham, Arsenal taking a massive step back. Yeah. Uh, I think Chelsea... Without question, at the moment, the the number one London club. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Not even yeah, not even close in that regard. Um, you know, if I had to pick a scoreline here, I'd, I'd go so far as to say probably a three-one City win. But that one for Tottenham is very heavily dependent on what the hell happens in this Harry Kane situation. I'll go, I'll go two-one, Man City. For this one, yeah, Tottenham. I mean, do have a, this this weird like knack of just overperforming against City. Um, seemingly, it doesn't matter who the manager is either. So, it'd be interesting if if that sort of repeats itself in any way, shape, or form. Um, I just don't see it being the case. I think City do it pretty comfortably to wrap up match day one. Um, but just a quick one before we sign off again. 
Uh, our best bet for the weekend is a game we didn't actually touch on. Uh, Newcastle-West Ham. I have over two and a half goals in this one. The model projecting closer to three and a half, actually, uh, which is interesting given, like I said, how poorly Newcastle performed in front of goal last season. Um, obviously kind of banking on West Ham doing the heavy lifting to get us over this goal tally here. But at the same time, you know, if St. James's Park is full, like I said, there's, yeah, we cannot underestimate the impact fans will have again this season. Um, that's something that I think was just not spoken about uh, during the whole COVID period over there. Last season, the away teams won more games than they've ever won in English top flight football. Uh, and I don't think that that was coincidental to there being no fans. So the home team, like I said, I think that they will at least get on the score sheet in this one. West Ham, I don't know. What do you think of West Ham, actually, before we sign off? Are they going to build off of last year and what Moyes did with them there? Or are they just going to go continue in their sort of yo-yo mould where they just push for Europe one year and then scratch to avoid relegation the next. Look, I know you've been waiting for my uh, <laughs> my thoughts on, on West Ham, um, but, you know, to be completely honest, when I was scathing with them a couple of seasons ago, it was really because of Manuel Pellegrini. Yeah. He's a manager I just thought was terribly overrated. And, um, you know, he did have a, a, you know, a decent spell at, at first, but... Um, you know, that came crashing down. And as I've sort of discussed before, you know, West Ham just has this weird knack of being this yo-yo club where, um, you know, you look at the last 10, 20 years, they'll finish seventh one season and get relegated the next. Weird things will happen. They'll get relegated with 46, 47 points, if I'm not mistaken. They had yeah. the, the highest points total ever for a, for a team that got relegated. So strange things tend to happen. Um that club, it must be a, a real roller coaster for, for West Ham fans. I actually don't dislike them. Um, I am going to predict a, a drop for them this season. Yeah, I, and, I have to. Yeah. I have to do the same. I think there's regression for them coming in this year for sure, um, but not by a lot. I still think that they'll be one of those teams fighting for that final Europa League spot come the end of the season. Um, they'll be there or thereabouts. They're a top half team, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but there are a couple of teams, I think, behind them that have shown probably more promise and more potential to make a jump forward than what they are. Um, but in this particular fixture, could not care less who wins. Let's just get goals and that over two and a half home and host for everyone. So I think that'll do it for episode one. We're almost at an hour, which is a little bit over time, but um, always fun talking Premier League football nonetheless. So with that, go and enjoy your uh, match day one. I wish you all the best and your team all the best. <laughs> um, thanks to everyone for tuning in live, those who catch up on the podcast or elsewhere. Do make sure you subscribe to follow along. If you want a sneak peek as well at our EPL membership, just jump on to www.punt.school. Sign up for a free two-week trial. No strings attached there. Best of luck to everyone not supporting Man U this weekend, Serge. Uh, I'll see you next week, though. We'll round up match day one and take a look ahead to match day two. So, Matt, thanks for having me, Josh. Can't wait to have this chat again next week. Looking forward Catch to the weekend. All. Yeah, much the same. Catch everyone again, same time next week. <laughs>